The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to our last meeting of this series on the Eightfold Path. There's still the day-long retreat in June, which I hope you've signed up for if you can. But this is the last time we'll meet here like this. And this we're taking up the eighth factor of the path, which is wise concentration. So uh, if you weren't here this morning, you notice it's a little different here today. Today is Visak, the Buddha's birthday, enlightenment day, and death day. It's the Buddhist holiday. So uh, the children participated in making this display. So it's lovely to have it for our last day together. So we're in the third of the three sections of the path. The first section is this kind of preliminary wisdom, enough wisdom to be here, (laughs) which you've all got and start out on this with good intentions. And then we worked on the ethical factors of the path. And maybe in the course of working with those, you discovered that well, you really need to slow down, calm down, notice what's going on with your minds, right? And look more internally. And so now we're in the mental cultivation part of the path, which is making the effort to do that, bringing more mindfulness. And as you bring those two, the mind settles and unifies and things become more clear. So that's where we are today. And we'll start with a guided meditation, which Liz will do. So uh, allowing yourself the time to find a position for your body that feels comfortable and like you can sit for a while, just allowing yourself all those tiny adjustments that help you settle in. As you give your body some moments to come to a level of stillness or a little more stillness than before, seeing if there are areas of your body that you can notice, maybe holding a little of the activity that brought you here or things that have gone on earlier today and letting those relax or perhaps soften just a little if they can. Sometimes it's helpful to just allow yourself to notice your body scanning downward or upward, maybe noticing how your scalp feels, maybe releasing any tension that you're holding in the face or the muscles of your head. 
softening the jaw, the tongue. And breathing out some softening for your shoulders. in your arms and hands. Maybe a little bit like you're standing under a gentle, warm waterfall that's taking any tension down into the earth and just trusting gravity, allowing it to hold the full weight of your body Perhaps relaxing the back, the stomach, letting it hang forward. Letting your hips and legs and feet Rest in the chair, on the floor, on the cushion. Letting your whole body rest in the arms of the earth. Allowing time for your mind and your emotions to arrive as well. Maybe just taking a few minutes and being with yourself. Seeing how you are right now. What's come here with you today? What's present? And making space for that. Just a time of taking stock. Really allowing your mind, your heart, your body, all the time it needs to arrive here. There's no rush to get anywhere.
And as the mind and body rest here, just allowing yourself to notice what they're called to pay attention to. Just being with each thing that comes to your attention.
And as you're present, just taking your time with each arising and passing. Whatever that might be, how your body is, how your mind is. Appreciating whatever's arising as something that wants your attention. Allowing yourself to notice pleasant or neutral things that arise as well. Appreciating even just a little bit more settled quality as you sit here, or a little, a tiny bit of calm, or awareness or alertness. Whatever qualities are present, that are helpful, allow yourself to savor those qualities, appreciate those qualities, and be present with them as well. Your mind could be calling your attention to something pleasant or something unpleasant that wants your attention. But just that quality of letting your mind take in and notice and be with whatever is here is helpful.
in with these last couple of minutes, allowing yourself some breaths of appreciation for yourself, for being here, being willing to be present with whatever arises and passes, and giving yourself this time to acknowledge your experience without having to go anywhere or get anything. Just appreciating what brought you here and what allows you to be here with yourself and with others. So welcome to Buddha's birthday. And uh, it's a wonderful day of um, beginning again, which is something that we do in practice all the time, is start over and with every breath and with every moment. And also a day, you know, the, the tradition is to ladle a spoonful of water over the Buddha's head, you know, bathing the baby. So we can sort of bathe ourselves in the time we're sharing today. And our subject is right concentration. So when you hang out with other meditators and listening to these Dharma talks long enough, pretty soon you start hearing words like samadhi and jhana and concentration. And so I thought we could start with some definitions of those words. Um, So uh, some of these things that I'm going to be quoting come from this book called The Experience of Samadhi by Richard Chankman. This is a very helpful book about concentration. And he defines samadhi as typically translated as concentration. Samadhi is the quality of mind that is calm and settled without distraction. So maybe have a little measure of that now. But, you know, calm and settled without distraction. I'd like to add 
that arises as a result of our meditation or mindfulness practice. Because you can be, without distraction, watching a television show or a race or practicing the piano, but that won't necessarily lead you to the kind of freedom or concentration that we're talking about on the Noble Eightfold Path. Another definition, jhana, I heard that word for many years when I was first meditating on it. Sounded very exotic and mysterious. And uh, he defines it in the glossary of that book as one, a state of meditative absorption, and two, meditation. So a lot less exotic than I thought. Um, But one of the problems that arises with hearing other people's descriptions of jhanas, concentration, or any of the things that happen in meditation is that sometimes some of us can start to compare ourselves with those descriptions and start to feel like maybe we're we're missing something or we're not getting it right. because our experiences don't seem to necessarily match those of other meditators. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. But one of the purposes of the talk today will be to invite you to to tune into what you experience and to really um, forget a little bit about what you hear from others in favor of noticing what you experience yourself. Um, So there's some reassuring lines in Richard's book Um, He says, among those advocating jhana, there is no consensus on what the jhanas are or how to go about attaining them. What a relief. (laughs) So in his book, he suggests that rather than allowing ourselves to become confused in all of what we hear about these things, we can simply appreciate the diversity of approaches and the wide assortment of skillful means that are available to us. And so, and I've even noticed when I've pulled Dharma buddies on this subject, I've gotten wildly different descriptions from each of them about what they experience when they experience concentration. So, um, and you know, over the years I've, I've found a lot of value in the guided meditations and talks I've heard on concentration. Uh, starting in the earliest years of my practice. So, um, and I noticed uh, there were some very interesting states that I got into at times, um, some of which were actually unhelpful or delusional, and others which were quite helpful. Um, So I'd like to share some of those with you in hopes that they may be helpful to you. So, for example, one evening, um, for reasons I still don't understand, I was on a retreat at Spirit Rock and I finished the last evening sitting. And when I got up, I was aware that my mind felt like it was several feet above and to the left of my body. And I, I, you know, at that point in my practice, that was so intriguing. I went, wow, this must be it. This must be one of those things that you're supposed to experience in meditation. But... You know, after a while, even though it was intriguing, I came to be aware that that was probably dissociation. (laughs) And, you know, that it really didn't help lead anywhere or anything like that. So um, I started to realize that there, you don't need to be trying for some sort of special state in meditation. It's really not trying to get into that woo kind of uh, place. And that those aren't really necessarily helpful. Sometimes they're kind of a dead end. 
So then uh, I went to a six-week-long retreat a few years later, and I became aware after a week's practice that I could hear this very deep, low sound that was emanating from within my body. At first I was like, is that some kind of hum in the building or what? You know, I spent a while trying to figure this out and finally I was aware that it was really a sound coming from within and it got way fascinating to me. I was completely intrigued by it and absorbed in it. It was very pleasant. And so for a couple days I was just really listening to this sound and then finally it dawned on me Uh, you know, I don't have any mindfulness at all. (laughs) I'm just totally riveted on this sound. And I decided to drop it. And so then when I had my next practice discussion, I asked one of the teachers, I said, you know, this is what happened, and I decided to drop it. And she said, yeah, you're right. You know, there's no mindfulness present. Maybe that's not a good practice for now. So... um, you know, as Bhante Gunaratna uh, points out in, in this book, which has fantastic descriptions of concentration, um, that was not yet skillful concentration practice. So a number of years passed, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very intrigued by concentration, and I noticed that in my practice I had a tendency to over-effort a bit. So maybe some of you have had that happen to you. And... I would sometimes feel like I was starting to get concentrated and I tried so hard at various points that I started to faint. (laughs) So I would be sitting there and I felt like my body was completely relaxed but I'd start to see blackness come over everything and I'd have to put my head down and you know make sure that I remained conscious. So it took me a while but what I figured out after a while was that my external body was relaxed, but inside, in my throat and in my viscera, I was kind of tightening up around this effort to become concentrated. So, um, by contrast, some Sundays I've sat here just calmly focusing moment to moment, being mindful as I can, and then when I got up from, you know, the sitting, realized that I was actually fairly concentrated. Um, one of the most helpful things was attending Richard Chankman's classes in concentration that he's held over in Berkeley. He seems to do that about once a year. Um, And so, you know, in those things, I actually knew what was happening, you know, watching it carefully, what was present and what wasn't present while I was meditating moment to moment. And by the end of some of those sessions, had a really deep kind of unshakable calm that was very, very pleasant and very helpful. So, you know, those are a smattering of experiences that there are a lot of ways that I've tricked myself or fooled myself about when I was getting concentrated and other times that I was just doing something that felt pretty ordinary and got into pretty concentrated or focused states. So how do we cultivate concentration? Um, I'd like to uh, share a few reflections that may be helpful along your path. One is that clean living helps enormously. So um, if you continue to follow the Eightfold Path and practice it, especially if you focus on those um, things that Bhikkhu Bodhi calls the moral discipline group, right speech, right action, and right livelihood, pretty soon 
a lot of problems fall away and you're sitting on the cushion and there's not a lot of external conflicts to worry about or internal conflicts to worry about, you, you start to feel much more settled and undisturbed in your meditation practice. So those practices are very helpful. Um, simplifying and settling your daily life. Um, we who are you know, working and have families and homes have a lot to attend to. And, however, there are probably some things that we're doing that are unnecessarily distracting or busying ourselves. So on a recent retreat, I became really, you know, humbled and uh, em- found that what was arising embarrassingly often in my mind was entertainment that I had overindulged in. So... <laughs> You know, I I started to realize that British murder mysteries probably weren't really going to be that liberating for me. (laughs) And so, you know, it started to sink in that there are probably some distractions that are worth letting go of. So, you know, what does your mind frequently think about? As we spend more time meditating, you start to become aware of what your mind is obsessing about or reflecting on or the song track that's playing. You know, there was a retreat a year ago where I told Frank Sinatra, please stop. (laughs) So, um, are there any obsessive thought patterns that you notice that stem from where you've been paying a lot of attention or spending a lot of time thinking? And among those patterns, are there some that you could lighten up on a little or lessen your, you know, control over or let go. Because, as the saying goes, what you frequently think about becomes the inclination of your mind. And I've decided I really don't want a mind full of British murder mysteries. So, um, then another factor that's really helpful is relaxation. Uh, The longer I've practiced, the more it seems that one of the most important things for concentration is really being very fully relaxed. Um, The body has an interesting way of notifying us uh, about what we haven't been conscious of. So there are some sittings that are simply an investment in being with what your body is telling you And sometimes it's telling you something about your mind. It's really going on in your mind and body. So whether it's pain or it's restlessness or some other state of body, very often it's it's a mirror for what the mind is doing. Um, And so even if it doesn't result in skillful concentration in that particular sitting, every sitting where we are just present with what's happening in our body as a reflection of our mind, is an investment in concentration. Um, One teacher at one retreat I attended uh, talked about the process of being with unpleasant states in the body as infinite patience. And I still hear those words in my mind very frequently. Infinite patience with what's arising. So if, like me, you're inclined to over-effort or think you should have achieved this or that in your meditation practice, um, you may want to consider not worrying about achieving jhanas or concentration right now. So um, 
it, I think it's possible that concentration arises more as a fruit of continuous, steady, moment to moment being with your experience than something to drive towards or focus on in itself. And the way Gill refers to this is if you want to get from A to B, the most helpful thing is to be fully at A. I think that's really helpful advice. I will say do pay attention to helpful states that come up. Um, There may be pleasant things that arise in meditation or just simple things that come up that are helpful. So sitting here this morning, you know, working with the kids on this little pagoda decorated with flowers, I was aware of really high energy in my body and a lot of thinking. But with time, there started to be a little more settledness. And being with that, ah, feeling that little more settled feeling fully. Or, you know, a little bit of calm. Or even recognition of a big, beastly, hard pattern. Just acknowledging those helpful states, I think, is very, very conducive. Sometimes contentment, happiness, joy are the qualities that actually lead, they precede concentration. So being with what arises that ha- that's helpful. Um, paying attention to everything that arises in meditation, including the positive feelings, is cultivating the, the, con- the factors that lead to concentration. So um, this is really the opposite of just blissing out or being lazy with what's going on. So I think Bonte G gives some really good descriptions of, in his book that you aren't concentrating if you're in some kind of hypnagogic state, you know, halfway between asleep and wake, and your mind is really empty. That's not concentration. (laughs) Um, Your mind can be blank and you're still not concentrated. Um, So when you're on the road to concentration, you're actually aware of what is happening or not happening. So don't let yourself bliss out or get lazy in the process. Um, It's, you know... And I think it is helpful to study what he's written and what Bhikkhu Bodhi have written, um, but then to just be with your experience rather than trying to recreate what they've written about. Um, Bhante G points out that deep concentration can result from either or both of you know, two different ways of going with practice. One being um, what's called momentary concentration, which is insight meditation, just being aware of what's arising moment to moment, whatever it is, arising and passing. And that's being fully at A. A is the sound of the car. A is my knees aching a little bit. A is this next outbreath. A, A, A. Um, the other is devoting yourself to a single object like the breath and really cultivating concentration. And he points out that you can use both. So um, he really gives some good description in his book. But an important um, component, as far as I can see, seems to be adjusting the level of mindfulness or focus that you place on what you're experiencing, depending on where you are. So when you first sit down and practice, your mind may be really busy, and it may take quite a bit of energy and effort to keep bringing it back to what's happening right now instead of the conversation you had two hours ago and what you need to do tomorrow morning. Um, so it, takes, it may take energy to keep bringing it back to now 
to now, to now. Um, And then after you've done that for a while, it may not take such brute force effort to bring the attention to what you're focused on. It may start to just take gentle renewal of attention rather than such, you know, hard-edged. So, however, you know, this being with A or with the object, I was intrigued by seeing that um, in his book, Bonte G describes that that's still not right concentration because he says, you know, you come to a point where the mind is really focused on itself. So, interesting to hear. Just watch what happens in your own practice. Um, One key that really seems to matter is cultivating what's called continuity of practice. So that means really, you know, coming back again and again and again, beginning again. Um, So beginning again with your breath or beginning again with being being attentive to what's happening now. And I think it's actually kind of a, a fun to make it a hobby in your daily life to see how often you come back. I do it throughout my work day, just noticing, you know, when am I back with mindfulness? When I'm walking to the bathroom, you know, when I'm sitting down, when I'm getting up, when I'm looking at the clock. Um, just this continuity, coming back to it as often as you can. And then the final thing I wanted to share is that I've noticed that the formal practices of like meta practice or compassion practice, practice with sympathetic joy or equanimity, those formal practices with those phrases are actually really conducive to getting a more focused and concentrated habit of mind. So because when you are um, doing that meta practice where you're bringing specific people into your mind and really aiming specific phrases at the good qualities in that person, you really are keeping your mind trained on something or bringing it back again and again. And there, you know, there are a lot of practices that are that way. Um, if you've ever heard of the 32 parts of the body practice or practicing with the four elements, there are, um, Bhante G mentions there are 40 places of work or these kinds of practices that help you cultivate a focused mind that can come back to something again and again. So, um, you know, why do this? <laughs> what are the benefits of concentration? Um, Basically, concentration is seen as a field uh, from which wisdom will arise and from wisdom is where freedom or liberation can come and insight as well. So concentration leads to some wonderful states of equanimity and calm, you know, stability of mind. Um, It unifies the mind, giving it kind of the power to be fully with what it's with in any moment and then letting go and being with the next thing. Um, It can actually ease and free up a lot of energy in the body. So uh, I think a lot of times we don't realize how much energy is bound up in our thinking or our preoccupations or, you know, a lot of stuff in our lives. And when we concentrate, we have the ability to ease up on that and free up that energy. Um, It also can bring a lot of confidence in your practice of meditation. It's kind of once you achieve some calm and some focus, it's kind of self-perpetuating. It feels good. It's, It's something you've probably been doing to a great degree all year 
round as you focused on these path factors and come back again and again to, okay, what, what would right speech be right now? Or, you know, what is right intention in this moment? What's right mindfulness? You're actually using a factor of co- focus and concentration to keep bringing yourself back to those practices. So um, I, you know, recommend you're continuing to study this in your own experience. And of course, you know, as you start to develop concentration or if jhana factors come up as described in these books, um, avail yourself of these wonderful teachers, Richard and Gil, you know, really helping you cultivate that further. Um, And finally, I want to apologize for any errors or misunderstandings that are in my talk. Um, One of the things I love about this practice is that you can be wrong every day and keep learning more or finding out, oh, you know, you wake up tomorrow after you do something like this and you go, Oh, but what about that? You know, so that's the whole practice is just this willingness to be a perpetual beginner. And it's true of concentration as well. So I, I hope this was helpful to you. And um, what we'd like to do now is um, invite you to get into groups of four. And so uh, I'll give you the question after you just find, you know, maybe three other people that you haven't had a chance to work with yet, or if you've had a chance with everybody, just find some people to be with. And just find a little area, and then I'll give you the questions that we'll be reflecting on. So, my question is not, what do you notice about concentration? (laughs) Instead, what you're invited to reflect on, and you know, this is going to be one of those spirals where maybe if you just go around and each person says one point, and then you let the next person make their point, and you go on, you learn something from each other, or you're inspired by each other. The question is, what is your relationship to happiness and joy or even contentment. And how do you notice it's present when you're sitting? So what's your relationship to happiness, contentment, joy? And how do you notice when any of that is present when you're sitting? So we'll, we'll have about um, 15 minutes to do that, and then I'll ring to bring us back together. So um, I'd really appreciate any sharing that or anything that came to you in that circle that was inspiring or reminded you of something that you want to uh, cultivate. What came up for you? something very meaningful that Mitch said, uh, that how when he feels happiness, he feels happiness, like share, like he shared, like everybody shares. Can you hear me? Closer like that, okay. Everybody 
Okay. <laughs> that how we all share happiness. And it made me realize that since I started the um, mindfulness practice, I realized how we all share suffering, um, pain, and happiness. And, and somehow it's okay, it's, it's not that it's terrible, it's not unusual, so it, it's been kind of comforting. But now it's like, yeah, we're also sharing this happiness. And it was like, wow, thank you. I, thank you. <laughs> Uh, that's actually that practice of sympathetic joy. Just, you know, seeing somebody else light up and having that help your own heart. Uh, so, in our group, the sharing, um, two people actually, when they described the joy and the happiness, and they specifically described how they feel in the body and how it feels light, how it feels really um, just this wonderful energy around. And um, that actually helped me tremendously because when I meditate, you know, I just thought, okay, I hold lightly whatever comes, comes. But I just never did pay direct attention how did that hold in my body, which is uh, would be very helpful because my in inclination is a lot of times just go directly into my head and very fast. And um, when if I connect to my body, I would feel like grounded. And I just really feel that sensation that emotion. Anything else? Where is there? <laughs> Let me say this. So very simple. When it's there, it's there. The happiness and contentment and joy. When it's there, it's there. When it's not there, it's not there. It sucks. <laughs> so I don't know. We just we just gotta crack out of that. It's like it's there. It's not there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, noticing when it's not there is helpful too. Like, oops, there it is, not there. It's on, it's on. Okay, just have to hold it real close. Um, I was really grateful because um, I have been. I don't know if struggle is too big of a thing, but I don't know that I ever... I mean, this part of the practice has really been confusing to me because I don't know what joy is. I don't know what happiness is. I, I mean, it's been something that was very conditional on having done something or achieved something. or So I never thought that I was capable of any of these states of mind. And um, I was really disappointed when you gave up your British mysteries because <laughs> some of the things that bring me joy are really good films or really good series. And, and, and I, well, then how do I cultivate that state if I don't, 
is it indulging? Is it lazy? Is it what? I mean, to me, it's just like, I can hardly wait till the next episode, you know? So, um, but when, when I specifically asked the women in my group, you know, okay, so you say you felt joy. What was it? And I was really grateful because when they described it, I realized, you know what? I, that's happened to me, too. I just didn't know it. And I just didn't know it. And I, no matter how fleeting it is, or, or sometimes it's like, well, what's going on? You know, I haven't labeled it as, as such. So I was just really thanking them for giving me their good descriptions of what joy is. Um, so... I may still not give up my my movies, but... (laughs) By the way, I'm not suggesting that you do that. My husband declared that everybody in England was dead by now. (laughs) It just, for me, it it was something that I was using in a way that probably wasn't the most helpful, but that... And I really appreciate your comment that these things can feel differently what joy is or what happiness is can feel a lot differently than the picture we might have in our mind or the picture that's in the media. Very different. Yeah, yeah. But I'm so glad that I'm capable of it, so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you. I wonder if you'd share a little more about the descriptions that, that well, maybe resonated I'll let them with you. Share. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, well, it was... Um, just this sensation of lightness and um, I just had this knowledge that you know there were there were choices that were limitless it was really very nice um, so for me the the experience of joy and the cultivation mm-hmm. of it can be something really simple um, like I'm going to get some ex- this is a recent example I'm going to have some exercise so I'm either going to go to the store and get some milk, which I can walk to, or I'm going to go to the library and take my book back. And I go, no, I'm just going to go for a short walk in the hills and look at the birds and the trees and appreciate the joy in the moment of whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. And what I said was that it feels like a fountain inside of me, and it just comes gushing up, and I don't know why often, but it's just there. It feels Mm -hmm. wonderful. I'll just put in a word for uh, appreciating. I think we talked about this a little while back, but just if you're enjoying something, even if it's a silly TV show, you can tune in to the fact that, you know, you're feeling some company there. We're often all lonely, right? So we're looking at this for company. So we're kind of resonating with the human experience of some kind of company. So you can turn to yourself and you can notice, okay, this is bringing up pleasant qualities in me. You know, and it's recognizing that it's your own recognition of those qualities that's being stimulated by that. So those qualities are within you, you know, not necessarily out there. It's just this resonance, and you can appreciate it. You know, so anything that makes you feel happy and you know relaxed, you can just notice that the happiness and relaxation is internal. It's not a feature of the TV, right? It's something that it's resonating in you. So, anyway. 
don't have to give up the things that you enjoy. Uh, time for a break. Um, and, you know, if we can all be back in our seats in 10 minutes, that would be great. Maybe even quicker if that's possible. Because <laughs> we have a lot of wonderful things to share. But, you know, in a relaxed sort of... <laughs> <laughs>